So, access. Kind of what we've been looking to do, we're thinking what's some ways that we can show to a world that doesn't necessarily have a great comprehension of the Bible. A lot of Bible knowledge. We live in a mostly post-Christian world who might not have any concept of what the Bible means. The Bible for a lot of people, and maybe for you here tonight, might just be an ancient book that your grandparents have, or there's a big giant one in the middle of your parents' house that's collecting dust, and maybe you opened it when you were a kid, or you went to a different church, but it was kind of stuffy, and you weren't into, into it, and you never really kept going when you were an adult, and it wasn't your thing. We want here at, at Access and at Eagle Mont Church to show you and to show examples of how the Bible is active and alive in people's lives today. It's not just some old book. It's got wisdom in it for literally every day of your life. You should be engaging in this every day. It will change the way you look at the world. One of the best ways that I heard it explained ever, and I like to use this, so if you've been at church on Sunday before, you've probably heard me say this, and that's when we look at buildings, like look at some of the greatest cathedrals in the world, um, they were designed by an architect. An architect drew out the blueprints, drew out every element of it, every last brick was planned to be laid in a specific spot so that it would look a certain way, so it would function a certain way. But that person, he didn't necessarily go and put all those bricks down onto the building. That's kind of like the Bible. People often will have some skepticism, some pessimism of, well, God didn't write the Bible. God didn't write the Bible. No, he couldn't have. Did God come down with a giant feather and ink and write it? No, that's not what happened. I, I'll concede that. That didn't happen. But just like the architect put brick by brick into his plans and had other people through time build those buildings, there are actually some great examples of architects in, uh, in these massive cathedrals in Europe who actually never got to see their construction completed. It was actually the workers who did. The people God chose after he orchestrated the Bible and the plans of it, he communicated to them what to write what needs to go in there, what, what fits into the Bible. And that's how we know that the Bible is true today. It's not just a bunch of random stories thrown together. It's God's breathed word. God wrote a book, and it's available to you. So each, week, uh, each month, excuse me, what we want to do here is we want to find something that we can look at that's a real issue and a real conversation piece in your workplace, in your school, whatever it is. And we want to take the Bible and apply that and show to, to, to whoever's here and your friends and basically anybody that engages with access that the Bible is applicable to your daily life. It's not just some old book. It's actually a huge benefit if we would just engage with it. So that being said, this month, what is, what's the conversation piece? What's the topic? Well, when I was trying to think of a message for our topic for our first access event, I had a lot of options. And I really stopped to think, I was like, what would be something that is impacting a lot of people, but like maybe they wouldn't think naturally? How does this impact living a Jesus-based life? How, how does that topic engage with that? And I don't think it takes very long for us to think and much awareness to realize that mental health is a major issue. It's a major topic in the world today. I have a friend who's a dentist. He's my dentist. There's nothing weirder than having your friend grow up and be your dentist. That's a really awkward interaction. When you think about this guy, we used to do a lot of dumb things, and now he's giving me a needle. That's not something that you normally do with most people, but I do. One of my best friends growing up is my dentist. And I remember in a conversation with him recently, he mentioned that whenever he has to do dental surgery, he asks them, the people, the patient, what type of medication they're on, you know, to watch out for uh, mixing drugs and all those things. And he said, Jeff, you would not believe how many people are on antidepressants. 
I said, well, sure, like, I, like it's everywhere, right? Like you see it on the news, like you just talk around. He's like, no, like it's hard to find people who aren't on some type of antidepressant or, or anti-anxiety drug. And he wasn't saying that's a bad thing. He's just, I never thought that this would be the case. It's everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And what this tells me is that there's significant need for the church to discuss this. Whether you believe this is like a continued pandemic that's existed for decades and decades, or you believe that this is uh, a new thing, or you, or you believe that it's like a, a repercussion of issues with culture. I've heard all these different versions as to what's causing this. Whatever it is, we can see that it exists. Just look around on social media. Just look around in the news. Look, uh, hashtag sick not weak, major following as far as following mental health. I think we've all probably seen the billboards or engaged on social media or whatever it is. Hashtag bell let's talk day, where if you hashtag bell let's talk, it's a certain amount of mo money that organization gives to mental health in Canada, and it gets massively trending people are really engaging in this. And it's a really good thing because there's been so many people for generations and generations that were hiding and kind of suffering in secret. But what does the church do with that? The, how does the church engage in mental health? How does the church engage? How do we as Christians engage in mental health? And, and in supporting people with these very real issues. You've probably heard some different responses over time. I know I've heard a lot of different opinions on mental health. It's, if you get three people in a room, you probably each have a very different perspective on what mental health is and how it should be handled, especially in Christian circles. But any water cooler conversation, you're going to find different opinions. Maybe you've heard somebody say, well, maybe if you've ever had a mental health issue or gone through depression or anxiety, that it's all in your head. Or have you ever tried not being depressed? It's just in your head. Or even someone say, have you tried praying about it? This is all spiritual, and you probably just need to pray it away. Have you tried working out or eating better? I, I bet if you tried the keto diet, your depression would go away. And then I think you'd feel better. Well, good-meaning people often are the ones that say this stuff. They're short-sighted, and honestly, it becomes unhelpful. Next time somebody says, have you tried not being depressed, I would hope that that person would take that person out for truck stop sushi. And then an hour or two later, as they're expelling their bowels in both directions, just kind of slink up to the bathroom door, give it a knock. Hey, have you tried not being sick? You're really down in the party. Stop puking. It doesn't work like that. When you're sick, you're sick. Have you ever been that sick? Have you ever had food poisoning? I had food poisoning so bad that I passed out and told my wife to call the ambulance. And she did. And I didn't really need the ambulance, it turns out. So that was really embarrassing. I just needed some Gatorade or something. But I thought I was dying. I've never passed out before. And then she made fun of me for it. And the ambulance lady saw me in my underwear and saw her messy room. And it was just really embarrassing for everybody. I didn't even write that in here. I just threw that out. When you're sick, you're sick. You can't help it. You, there's nothing that you can do. And for people who have, who have uh, anxiety and depression, that is the facts. And let me just say something before I go any further. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. I'm a pastor. Um, I, I don't know everything about the psychology and the biology of all this stuff. 
But I do know that we have a responsibility in this. We have a responsibility as Christians and as church and as human beings to support people in a very real issue. And I'm not going to be able to touch on every element I would like to because we only have a certain amount of time. But I just want to point out that while I don't know everything, there's, there is a responsibility here. But all jokes aside, it's impossible to separate uh, the three elements of who we are. The Bible tells us in the book of James, which, by the way, is written by a guy named James. Go figure. He is the biological brother of Jesus. And it says in James 2.26, and it's going to be on the screen there for you. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. For the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You see that there? The body apart from the spirit can't exist. Or here we go in Corinthians, where uh, a man named Paul, who planted churches all around the world, is in the second half of the Bible in the book of Corinthians. It says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So your spirit exists within your body, God's temple. There's some differentiation in there. Or there's another example. When Paul references, again, the same guy Paul in the book of Romans, and he's writing to a church in Rome, in Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and, and approve what God's will is in his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Your mind. There's references to different things here. There's references all throughout Scripture to body, to mind, and to spirit. And the fact of the matter is that we can't separate these three elements from who we are. This is a part of who we are. Body, 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 mind, and spirit. Mental health doesn't exist on an island, and this I can say for sure. Our mind is important, but the health of our body impacts it. The health of our spirit impacts our mind, and all of these vice verses, they all twine together. You cannot separate them from each other. It's all connected. The fact here is that as humans, we should know that we are spiritual beings. 100% we are spiritual beings. And that not taking care of your spiritual life could very, very much hurt your mental health. But as a general statement, we should never just say that somebody with mental illness or mental sickness is just suffering from a spiritual attack. That's honestly one of the worst things that I think we can do and that I've heard before. That somebody's having mental health issues. Well, that's a demon. That's some spiritual attack. That's the devil. It doesn't work like that. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't spiritual world out there. That doesn't mean that there's no times where the enemy is going to try and affect us spiritually, that we're not going to be weak in moments. And it's not worth going back and forth and arguing, okay, well, actually, I think this time it's a spiritual attack, or I think that you over here, you're, you're actually having mental health problems. At the end of the day, if you have an enemy, which we do, there's a very real devil that wants to hurt us and hurt our lives and destroy our lives. Whether we have spiritual weaknesses in our lives or whether we have biological, physical weaknesses in our lives because of diet or health or we have mental weaknesses in our lives, depending on whatever's going on, there's going to be temptations, there's going to be attacks on those. It doesn't matter how we categorize it, we need to take the steps possible, every step possible to be as healthy in all of these areas as, pos as we can. So what does that mean? That, that might mean you need to go to the gym. That might mean you don't go to McDonald's 
as often. That might mean that you need to eat healthier. That might mean that you need to read your Bible more. You might need to pray more. You might need to start praying for the first time or something like that. It might mean you need to go to a mental health professional. It might even mean that you might need to start taking some medication. And this is where the conflict comes sometimes or the, the question. I have a friend, a very good friend, who asked me, and he takes anxiety medication because he has crippling anxiety often if he doesn't take it. And he asked me, as he's not a Christian, can you take anxiety pills as a Christian? And I've heard different stories on this, and this is a real hot-button issue for some people. For some people, it's just like, yeah, whatever. But for a lot of people, this becomes a big issue with antidepressants. I've heard some people say, absolute no, and I want to clarify again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, but I feel that as a pastor and a logical person that I can speak a little bit to this. And I want to reference a verse in Timothy. This is that same guy, Paul, who was a planter of churches and what would be called a modern a missionary. He planted a good chunk of the church. He's writing to uh, someone he's mentoring named Timothy, a younger guy, and he says, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.23, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. Alcohol is a drug. It's a grandfathered in drug, but it's absolutely a drug. And he's telling him to use it to heal something that's happening physically to him. I don't, well, I would hope that no one would have any problems with what Paul is saying in the Bible here to Timothy. So some people look at that and be, yeah, 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 no, see, you can take any drugs for anything you want. You can do whatever you want. It makes sense for sure. Antidepressants, clear path. I can take as much as I want. You'll notice Paul doesn't say, hey, if you drink the whole bottle or maybe two, you also won't feel any pain at all. It's not touched on. It's probably true, but it's not what he says because he's telling him, take a little wine. Take a little bit for the illness. There's purpose to this medicine, and there's purpose to antidepressants, and that's, that being said, it needs to be all in balance, just like everything. Well, I believe that drugs can be a normal part of helping with mental illness, and need, we need to be careful. The over-administration and dependence on these drugs are dangerous, and that's a re real thing. We see that in the news all the time. It's very dangerous. It's very bad for your health to be on these things if you don't need to be. Uh, someone who's really well-respected, a pastor in the States named John Piper, he said this when he was asked this question. There are physical damages that happen in life that, that a person is born with that alter the brain's functionality. The question then becomes whether we should only pray for it to be healed or whether we might also use medicine to help it. Just like you take aspirin to get through a very serious backache, you might for a season take some kind of medicine that would enable you to get your bearings mentally so that you can then operate without the medicine. Near our church, there is a place called Andrew's Home, and it houses people who are severely mentally disabled. All of them are on heavy medicines to keep them from killing themselves, killing other people, or being totally unable to work. A few of them worship with us at Bethlehem, which is his church, and I believe that through their medication they perceive and know God and that God is in fact using them for good. They are seriously mentally ill. I don't know all the circumstances, but I couldn't rule out the option of medicine for them or for others struggling with certain forms of serious depression as a means to try and help them get their bearings. The end goal is never to be medicated. 
the dream and the prayer, and I think we should always keep our hearts and our sights on not needing medicine to be happy. It becomes dangerous when we just become dependent, and that becomes the source of our happiness. God should be our joy. God should be the hope that we have. But there's still a very real, real thing that is mental imbalance, mental sickness. It's there. And just like sometimes I hurt my back at the gym and I need to take a pill or something like that to take the pain away and to, just to get me through the day, there are people that have issues like this. There are even people, I believe, who, who just constantly and chronically have these issues and need to take those pills. And I would never judge them for that. I would never judge anybody for wanting to feel healthy, for being able to get their bearings, just like John Piper says. It might even be what it takes for them to be able to focus on Scripture and on prayer and come to church long enough to feel God's hope and God's love. It could be a huge benefit. And I would never take that away from somebody. Hopefully that helps them get closer to the true joy that Jesus brings. Anxiety and depression are not just something people feel today. There's lots of situations where people in the Bible, thousands of years ago, these like people that are, are the, the stuff of legends, these true, real people that we hear about in Sunday school, if you went up growing to church, and maybe even if you didn't grow up coming to church, you probably heard of some of these guys. David, he was called in the Bible a man after God's own heart. This is the dude that killed Goliath. Like, this guy is a hero. He wrote the book of Psalms, and there's lots of Psalms called the, the Lamenting Psalms. And these are when he's in, in the darkness, when he's kind of been exiled. He's in a state of depression, and he writes all of these because he feels very lonely. It's a very dark section. I encourage you to look that up. Uh, I can go on the Bible app, Version Bible app, and see uh, the book of Psalms. King Solomon, David's son, he's known as and called the wisest man who ever lived in the, in the Bible. He looks back on his life in a book called Ecclesiastes and says this. Get this. This is the most depressing thing you'll ever find in the Bible. If you've never read it before, this blew my mind and I've read it before. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Man, that's down. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. It has been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually, it's old. Which makes me laugh. Uh, nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. That's a great time to dismiss, eh? That's so emo, so depressing. My favorite line in there is, sometimes people say, here's something new, but then it's old. Like, what a pessimist. And this is a guy who did incredible things. This is one of the wisest men who ever lived. This is a man who, at the end of his life, noticed that not everything went perfect. There was emptiness. He was depressed. I tell you this not because I want you to know that there's no hope, that everyone's going to be depressed, but have hope. 
If, you're, if you have depression, clinical, seasonal, just you're not feeling great for a period of time, you're not the first one. You're not the only one, even though it might feel like that. You're not the first person even who has God in their life who feels depressed. It's not a sin to feel depressed. It's not, a feel, it's not a sin to have anxiety. It's not a sin to have depression. It doesn't make you less of a human. In fact, it's the opposite. It means that you're living. We live in a sin-filled world. We live in a world that's corrupted and not perfect. And because of that, we run into situations where we're going to feel these things. And that doesn't mean we all need to run and take medication. Some of us need to. It might mean that some of those things work on our health, work on our, on our mental health, work on our physical health, work on our spiritual health. We need to take steps in the right direction. You want to know how human it is to have anxiety? Jesus, who was fully God, but fully lived a human experience, it says in the Bible that he actually had such great anxiety when he was asking right before, when he's hanging out in the garden, before the guards came to take him to the cross to be brutally murdered on a cross. He was so filled with anxiety that he actually sweat blood, which is a, which is a very rare phenomenon called, I'm going to say it wrong, hematotrosis, where you are so stressed that you actually sweat out blood. The greatest, most spiritual people in history have had to deal with anxiety, with depression. Maybe some of it was seasonal. Maybe some of it was circumstantial. Maybe some of it was clinical. But at the end of the day, these are real. This is real stuff that happens. I've dealt with this in my own life. Now, I, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend or look like I look for sympathy on anything. I don't deal, I don't believe, with clinical depression. But I've had my bouts with anxiety, and my wife can speak to this. And especially, I've probably spent a good amount of my 20s convinced that I am going to die, and relatively soon. And some of my friends, can, they know this too. And I've talked about this on Sunday before. Never, ever, ever go on Google Doctor or WebMD I have had every disease that you can ever imagine. Uh, the joke I always say, and it's nothing to really joke about because it's true, is you can go on WebMD and type in that you have like a runny nose and diarrhea, and it'll tell you you have Ebola. And you're like, oh, I have Ebola, great. I might as well get my will in order because my runny nose. But I've lived with every cancer, every neurological disease, like with the stress of it. I don't want to put any less, any less weight on the people that are actually dealing with some of this stuff, but because of my anxiety and letting it, to, letting it get to me, I've lost sleep. If you know me at all, if, you've, if you haven't seen me before, when I first got to this church, I weighed like 250 pounds. I went through a real bout with anxiety. I was up to 313. Just because I didn't, I was stressed. I didn't care. I didn't care about anything. I let it get to me. I let it get to the point where I couldn't think about anything else, where nothing mattered because I was depressed, because I was in a dark, dark place. And not everyone's going to be able to walk out of that season the same. For me, it just kind of took figuring it out and praying about it and uh, going to a doctor and talking to him. I, I even went to a psychologist a couple of times, although it was really expensive and I, was, I didn't like going, so I didn't go, but I encourage that you go because there's probably ways that you can get um, support. There's actually government programs that can give you support for that. If you remember to keep the receipt, which I didn't do, it's a really bad thing to do. You might need to talk to somebody. It's helpful. Do it. There's no shame in it. Don't do, suffer alone. 
There's lots of people. I know our church, if you don't know this, we have a pastor on staff who has a psychology degree, a master's in psychology, and he does counseling, Pastor Joel. He would love to meet with you if you schedule an appointment with him. If you need to talk to somebody, I'm available to talk. Been through some of this stuff. And anything that I, I'm not going to tell you something I don't know. Pastors deal with this. People in biblical history deal with this. There's a story just recently in California of a pastor in his early 30s who had a couple little kids and a wife who just killed himself. Came back from a long sabbatical, preached about depression just like I'm doing right now, and uh, committed suicide that week. This isn't any, there's no demographic, there's no race, there's nothing, there's no culture that this pins on. This is something that the world deals with. This is something your neighbors are dealing with. This is something that your friends are dealing with. It might be something you're dealing with. I want you to know that there is hope and you need to talk to somebody. You can get out of it. I still have to fight this anxiety battle. I have to choose. And I don't always win it. I have to choose that I'm not sick. I have to choose not to be stressed about that thing coming up to the point where it cripples me. Or I have to choose to go talk to a doctor and see what the next step is. There's hope in God. He's been the biggest help for me through this. To turn and to say and just be honest, God, I'm scared. I'm freaking out. I don't know where the light is at the end of this tunnel. I hope for you that, that you can do that. There's a verse in, in Philippians, and it says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Thank God for what he's done. Don't worry. That's so contrary to what we want to do, but pray. Even if you're worrying, pray. Just give it a chance. Talk to God. He will help you through that. And as a church, that's the point of church. We want to support you. The people here want to support you. Want to walk and talk, walk you through this and, and talk to you when you need to. So people here who are Christians, what do we do? How do we support our friends? How do we support our families? What's the next step? Here's really what, from any study I've, I've looked up and from anything that I've learned through my own life, is this. And this is really hard for me. Talk less, listen more. When someone comes and talks to me and tells me they're depressed, I'm going to be like, here's why. Let's try and fix that. I'm a fixer. I think, well, how do we fix this? How do we fix this? What's the next step? Have you tried the keto diet? Worked really great for me to lose weight. It'll probably help you with, uh, with your, whatever you're going through. It's not helpful. Sometimes just sitting there and listening is one of the best things that you can do. Let someone vent. If you think they're in a dangerous place, if you think that there's a chance of self-harm, then steps need to be taken. You need to tell somebody. Maybe even you have to tell the police. That's way beyond, hopefully we don't get to that point. But you just need to listen to people. They need people to care, to listen, to maybe give them a hug, to go for coffee. When it's 10 o'clock at night, when they say, man, I'm not doing good, even though you got to work at 6 in the morning, you head out to Tim Hortons for a really bad cup of coffee. That's what it means to be a friend. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to support people in their time of need. And the world needs less people to tell people how to fix their lives. And they need more people to listen and support them and drive them and bring them to Scripture at the end of the day to pray with them and trust that God is going to help them as they go through medical care, as they go through whatever the next step is. But I want everyone who's here today to know this as I close. Here is what I want you to walk away with beyond anything. There's hope for anything. Mental health, physical ailment, sickness in Jesus. 
And that's why we're here. That's why this church exists. That's why I've committed my life to hoping that people will, will know that. That's why Access exists here once a month. That's why Sunday morning, every Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m., there's church here at Eaglemont Church. Because we want people to know that there's hope. There's nothing beyond what Jesus can heal. There's nothing beyond what Jesus can do in your life or anyone's life. Look, at there's a story of Jesus when he was on earth where he went up to a leper, which was the most like socially disgusting thing you could have and physically disgusting. Sores all over your body. Your limbs are falling off. Nobody would even look at you and they would scream at you and say if they saw you and scream unclean. Psychologically, it would destroy you. You would just be an outcast. He just went and, Jesus went and touched that person, and immediately he was healed of the physical ailments, of the psychological effects of, of what the culture had done to him, and anything else. He was completely, completely clean. Jesus can do that for you. Jesus can do that for your friends. That's the power that we have in the Holy Spirit and in God, and that's something to be excited about. And that's something that we need to share with the world around us. So if this is your first time here, in a church, and you've never heard this before, I hope you walk away with a hope that you didn't have when you walked in this place. And I really hope that if you have any questions, you'll come talk to me or anybody else here um, wearing the four Beaumont shirts. This has been awesome. I'm really, really thankful that you guys have been here. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to play some announcements to close off our time before we head out to the cafe for coffee. God, thank you for uh, just this first night at Access. Thank you for every person here. God, we thank you that uh, even though there can be some really scary stuff with the topics we're talking about today and a lot of confusion, a lot of unknowns, God, we know that you're in control. We know that you have more knowledge than any doctor and than any surgeon, than any uh, pill prescriber. God, we know that you can help us, and we pray, God, that you would help us to continually put you first as the solution to our problems, that you would be the hope that we have. But God, if there's people here that, that need to go talk to a, to a psychologist or to a psychi psychiatrist or, or a doctor or whatever it is, I pray, God, that they would go and do that and that you would continue to encourage them. That that's a good thing. God, for those same people and the people in our lives who need support, help us to listen. Help us to be open ears for them. Help us to be uh, a good example of your love. We pray that people would have hope because of you. Uh, yeah, we just thank you for everybody here. We thank you that we're going to be able to have uh, some really awesome lattes and coffee. And uh, yeah, we love you. We worship you. Amen.